Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday morning messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 28. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. A while back, I heard a quote which was attributed to one of two commissioners of the U.S. Patent Office. It's from the 1800s, and it goes like this. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Now, it turns out this was either a joke or a serious misrepresentation of what was actually said. But can you imagine what life would be like if there were no inventions for the past couple hundred years? You can get a glimpse of what it might have been like through various tourist attractions. These places are usually set up so people can walk through and they can see how people live, how they dressed, what their accommodations were like, what they ate, how they spent their time. A few things that jumped out me from Old Fort Henry in the Kingston area were just indeed how rustic or sparse the accommodations were, especially compared to what we have now. How the food was prepared and distributed it's all based on status and how harsh the punishment was if you didn't follow all the rules. There were no phones, no computers, and of course, no internet. I also took note of how the school worked. If students misbehaved, the teacher didn't say very much. Instead, it was simply reported and the soldier's pay would be docked. And you could probably guess what happened after that. Not much misbehaving the second time around. While there may have been a certain romanticism or nostalgia to living a similar life to what they did, because it's probably a pretty simple life and straightforward, I'm pretty thankful for the lifestyle we enjoy. I don't think there are many who would want to go back to the life that they lived. Whenever things change, people start asking questions. What's this change about? Why do we have to change? How will this change affect me? When does it kick in? And so on. Inevitably, some will accept the change and embrace it. Some might scratch their head and sit on the fence. And others will reject it outright. And some who are opposed to it might even try and sabotage it. Putting one's faith in Jesus instead of following the established religious system was a huge change for the Jewish people. Many want to keep following the quote-unquote old way for various reasons, and didn't accept the change that would ultimately impact their eternal destiny. There's also a great deal of pressure for those who did accept the change to turn back to the old or former ways of life. The essence of today's message is to note how Jesus is the perfect high priest in the order of Melchizedek, appointed by God, and that he alone can save or redeem mankind. The old way of approaching God through an attempt to adhere to the law through the provision of sacrifices and offerings, and through the priesthood has been replaced by a new way, namely through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not just a better way, it's the only way. I'm going to break our passage into three parts this morning. We'll look at the prototype, Melchizedek. We'll look at the perfect priest, Jesus, and how he compared to Melchizedek. And we'll look at the guarantee that was sealed with an oath. So before we get into this, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, just pause 
and thank you for your goodness and love. We just marvel that the God who created and sustains the heavens and the universe created and sustained us and loved us so much that you sent your son to come to the earth for us. Thank you for that. Thank you for your word and for your spirit. And I just pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts and minds to what you would have us learn and apply to our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the prototype, Melchizedek. The writer to the Hebrews assumes that the audience is well-versed in the scriptures. For example, he would have expected them to have known about the encounter that the patriarch Abraham had with Melchizedek, the one that we see in Genesis chapter 14. Now, Abram and his nephew Lot had separated because they needed more space. Lot chose to live in the area near Sodom. And some of the neighboring kings fought with the king of Sodom and some other kings and defeated them. In the process, Lot and his family were taken captive. So Abraham found out about it, and he called together some of his men and went out and rescued Lot and his possessions and the people that were with him. So as they returned, the king of Sodom came out to greet them, and it's at that time that Abraham encounters Melchizedek. Reading from Genesis chapter 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Abraham was incredibly important to the people. They revered him. They realized God had blessed him and and founded the nation through him. The writer to the Hebrews uses Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek to emphasize some important points that may not have been understood before. It might have been one of those, oh, I never thought of that moments. That explains it. So let's read the first four verses in our chapter. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, there are a few things worth noting here. First, Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. While this was sometimes the case in ancient times, it was not the norm for the Israelites. One could be a king, one could be a priest, but one wasn't both. Melchizedek, though, was a Canaanite king who worshipped God. Melchi, my king, Zedek, righteousness. And Salem is linked to the word shalom, peace. King of righteousness, peace. Hmm. Kind of sounds like somebody else we read in the book in the Bible, doesn't it? Knowing a person's genealogy was very important. And if you look through the Bible, you'll see something of the genealogy for the patriarchs and those people that are really important in the Bible. 
With Melchizedek, we have no beginning and no end. He remains a priest forever. In Greek culture, that would have made him a divine being. There was an old tradition that said Melchizedek was Shem, the son of Noah, who had survived to that time. Others have concluded that Melchizedek was an angel, or even a pre-incarnate Christ. I don't think any of these fit, given what the Bible tells us about him, though. What we do see is that Melchizedek was greater than or superior to Abraham. The greater blesses the lesser, and the lesser would give tithes to the greater. Salem is thought to be the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. Salem was a territory where the city of Jebus would be located, which in turn became the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. Verse 5. Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So let's take a quick look at Abraham's family tree to figure out where Levi comes in. We know that Abraham had a son named Ishmael before he had another named Isaac. Isaac was the father of twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. The first was Reuben, the second Simeon, the third Levi. The fourth was Judah, and then he had eight others. Levi had three sons, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. The Levites came from families of all three of these sons. Kohath was the forefather of Amran, and he was married to Jochebed. Now she was a descendant of the Levites, and she bore Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. And the priests came from Aaron's family. He himself was the first high priest. So if you weren't born into the right family, you could submit as many applications as you wanted, but you weren't going to be serving as a priest or as a Levite. These were the ones people supported you tithes, and they in turn were required to provide tithes. Verses 9 and 10 note that Levi paid the tenth or tithe through Abraham. As his ancestor is superior to Levi, so is Melchizedek greater than Levi. And by extension, he's also greater than the priests that came from Aaron's lineage. Verse 16 tells us that Melchizedek became a priest not on the basis of his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So what about the perfect priest? So having established Melchizedek's significance, the writer now shows that the current system is flawed. Verse 11, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. The current system was imperfect. 
Most of us would be happy with something short of perfection, for example, on our report cards. 70% is okay. 80% is pretty good. 90 means I got the wrong report card. Depending on the circumstances, the standard goes up. For example, we wouldn't be too impressed if only 70% or even 90% of the masks that went out to our frontline workers were made properly. The law made people aware of their sin, of their inability to meet every aspect of it. The sacrifices and offerings, however, did not fully cleanse people of their sin. And while some people truly sought God, many just went through the motions and their hearts weren't in it. Some followed the rituals, but missed the real reason things were instituted. We were designed to be in a relationship with the living God, the one who created and sustains the universe. We're separated from him, though, by our sin. None of us meets his standard of perfection. So a new priest was needed, one from outside the order of Aaron. A change was needed so people could draw near to God. The writer then goes on to tell them, this new priest will be like Melchizedek. Verse 13. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and not one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. The new priest, like Melchizedek, will not come from the tribe of Levi. The new priest will come from a tribe of Judah, Levi's brother. Unlike the priests from the line of Aaron, who died, this priest would be qualified by the power of an indestructible or unending life. Psalm 110 verse 4 reads, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This psalm links the kingship and the priestly duties as we saw with Melchizedek. It's interesting to note that the psalmist is King David himself. I wonder if he knew that this priest that he talked about would be one of his descendants. The old system only pointed out our imperfections. It couldn't address it. It couldn't cleanse our consciousness. The new priest, however, gives hope, a confident expectation through a relationship with God. So we have a fundamental change in the priesthood, and by extension, the entire system. This wasn't a little tweak, the entire religious system was being overhauled. Jewish society revolved around that system. No surprise, some quickly accepted this new priest and committed to following Jesus. Some struggled with it. Some believed but didn't want to let others know. And some outright rejected the notion and sought to get rid of Jesus. You've likely heard advertisements saying, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Now, those who turned to Jesus and believed were under incredible pressure to turn back to their old way of life. 
and in effect ask for a refund. Some of you may have been asked to take an oath at some point, whether you're a witness in court or whether it's for your work or perhaps for some other reason. And you put your right hand on the Bible and swore that you would tell the truth or perhaps that you would you swore you would work honorably according to the rules or perhaps it was for some other reason. In doing so, you made a solemn promise. And I'd like to think that all of us want to keep the promises we make. How much better then is the oath if it comes from the Creator Himself, the one whom the Bible speaks of? Reading from verse 20. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus had become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. We certainly have certainty. We have a guarantee of satisfaction in Jesus Christ. I would guess all of us have seen changes in the church over time. People change. Some move away. Some pass away. Some you're closer to than others. Some you're more open to combining than others. But with each change, you start a new relationship. Jesus, however, will always be there. It doesn't change. He's seated at the right hand of God and intercedes for us even now. The priests from the line of Aaron were all imperfect, just as we are. They were required to offer a sacrifice for their own sin before they could offer a sacrifice for the sin of the people. Not so with Jesus. He was perfect, he was without sin, and gave his own life as the sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. So in closing, we've seen a fundamental shift in the priesthood and how imperfect humans like us can now approach God. Melchizedek was the prototype, so to speak. The perfect priest was revealed, and the perfect priest is Jesus. His priesthood is indestructible, and was sealed with an oath. Life has changed significantly in the past few months, hasn't it? Not being able to gather with people has been challenging, sometimes incredibly painful. I would suggest, though, some good things have happened from us having to stay home so much. Some have started to get to know their neighbors better. Some have just considered what's really important in life. Some have started to consider who God really is. And if you're one of those people, please know that there's nothing in your past 
There's nothing you've done that God can't deal with. Our God is that big. He can deal with anything. His offer of forgiveness of sin applies to all. Others have spent more time with God and reading his word and thinking of the things of God. And I trust that these good things will become lasting habits. We don't know how things are going to transpire in the next days, weeks, months, or even years. However, we can rest assured that God is in control. We can rest assured that Jesus will be with us through the trials as well as through the good times. We can rest assured that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's my hope and my prayer that anyone who hears this will turn their lives to Jesus and let him be their personal Lord and Savior. And for those of us who have put their trust in him, I trust that we will continue this time and the habits that the good habits that have been developed to draw closer to him because those changes are worth embracing. Let's pray. Father, again, I just pause and thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for Jesus. And Father, I do pray that anyone hearing this will put their trust in Jesus and that he would be their personal Savior and Lord. And I do pray, Father, that all of us would just take the good things that have come out of this these past few months, the good things we've learned and the good habits that have been developed, and build on them, that we would live more fully for you, that our lives would be a reflection of your love, and in turn that you would receive the honor and the glory. And I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.